Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. He is still out. If you would like an update on uh, what's going on with him, you can find it on Twitter at comeonandfarce. Well, we're going to talk about this uh, indoor mask mandate in L.A. County, but the spread of the Delta variant appears to already be hammering the economy. Well, not really the economy, but the stock market. Jen? Down 720. And the analysts are all saying it's because of concerns about the Delta variant. Yes. And remember, I said it's not the 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 stock market is not the economy. Right. It's a it's a different thing. Totally different ball game. Um, Okay, so L.A. County is now back under an indoor mask mandate. If you go to the store, the gym, if you go to a restaurant while you are not actively eating and drinking, it's and even in your your place of work, uh, it's if it's indoors. Yes, if you're a lifeguard at the beach, you don't have to wear the mask at work, and you have to wear the mask. Uh, are people going to abide by it? Well, no, of course not. I mean, a lot of people won't. The last time when we had mask mandates, a lot of people didn't abide by it, and that was before all the stuff that's happened that has made it even more politically divisive and has sent people even farther into their bubbles of this is my reality regarding what's going on with this virus and their, and this is my reality of what government should or shouldn't do. Um, so in other words, it's way worse now. I would expect there'll be fewer people uh, complying with the mask mandate. And depending on where you are, probably nothing's going to happen to you. Sheriff Villanueva already said he's not going to enforce it. I don't know what LAPD has said. Other other cities within L.A. County, you know, your Santa Monica's, your Beverly Hills, your West Hollywood's, your Burbank's, your Glendale's. But I would guess there will be um, there will be lower compliance and there will be a massive increase in the old the old schnoz hang. Those that's for people who don't have the guts to flat out refuse. They want to pass as maybe complying, but they don't really like it. So they hang that old schnoz over the top of that mask. And I don't think that anybody working at Trader Joe's or Blink Fitness or whatever has any appetite to confront people. So I think that the main mechanism of enforcement, if there's going to be one, will be the L.A. County Department of Health, who, if they get complaints about a business where masks are not being worn, might go out and might uh, issue a citation or something. I don't think we're going to see any heavy-duty action from them either because uh, you all know the story of Tinhorn Flats, the restaurant here in Burbank, right? Uh, This was a, a restaurant where the owners were like, F all of this. Safety protocols and everything. We're going to do what we want. And uh, became a cause celeb amongst people who don't like mask mandates, who didn't like the shutdowns and everything. And found themselves cited tons and tons of time. The The guy who was running it, which I think is the son of the owner who's not in the country right now. He was actually arrested multiple times. They shut off the, the power. 
They put padlocks on the doors, which were cut off. And finally, they erected a big fence around the whole building. And even that didn't really stop them. And it wasn't until the wife of the owner, who I guess ends up actually owning the property, got them evicted. And my point being, there were courts involved. There were all these things. But really, at the end of the day, not that much happened to those people. I mean, if you're thinking like you're going to hear about people being sent to jail for six months because they wouldn't wear a mask in Walmart, that's not going to happen. So here's the interesting thing about it. I'm seeing a lot of reaction and a lot of um, attempts to justify however it is you feel about it. And there's an interesting angle here because you have some people who are pointing out things that seem pretty reasonable to me, which is this. All of the health officials are saying if you're vaccinated, you're very well protected. If you do get a breakthrough infection, you are very, very unlikely to have to go to the hospital or die. In fact, I think we're still waiting for any information about vaccinated people having to be hospitalized and dying from this virus. And if there are cases, they're very, very minuscule amount. Okay, so you know what it's like? It can feel like I did the right thing. I went and got vaccinated. Now I got to wear a mask again. And that's like when in school, one kid acts out and then the teacher makes everybody put their head on the desk. That's fine. So the lot, but the next logical step is then you would, you would want people to get vaccinated. In other words, let's get rid of the mask mandate. If we get enough people vaccinated, It'll slow the spread and we won't need a mask mandate. And so uh, shouldn't you be in favor of vaccine mandates, um, vaccine passports, giving people an incentive to get vaccinated and also having some kind of consequence to the people who choose not to? And clearly I'm exempting from this legitimate medical reasons and legitimate, long-held, sincere, religious objections to getting vaccines but a lot of people don't and so the thing that's scary is we have to see how many people really believe we shouldn't have to do anything you shouldn't have to wear a mask you shouldn't have to get vaccinated if you don't want to you shouldn't have to be subject to any kind of checking like a vaccine passport or what have you You should not be treated any differently in public accommodations because you chose not to wear a vaccine and don't want to wear a mask as well. And where you end up with that is you don't believe in any steps being required. And that at that point. At that point, you're so far away from common sense and the science and being part of uh, a community trying to mitigate a problem that you're really out on your own kind of floating around in the either with your views on it. So we want to see like, will any of this cause people who didn't want to get a vaccine to get vaccinated because ugh, now we're all wearing masks. And if more people got vaccinated, maybe we could get rid of the masks. Let's see if there's any incentive there. Who's that weird guy with two rods of stainless steel twirling in circles in the middle of a field? Oh, that is a water witch. These are people who say they can find water underground using these uh, special rods and the uh, techniques, I assume, handed down since the Middle Ages... When this kind of started in Europe, uh, you may have heard it referred to as dowsing or maybe divining. Some people call looking for water with two sticks doodlebugging. And back in the 17th century, because they thought that people finding water with two sticks was a form of witchcraft, of course, water witches, which a lot of water witches are quite happy to call themselves water witches. I do not pretend to understand any like scientific explanation that might underlay 
how you can find underground water with two sticks, but there's at least 2,000 members of the American Society of Dowsers. And by the way, there's water dowsing. There's other kinds of dowsing or, or witchery. For There are people who say with sticks they can find something that you lost, like your watch or treasures or stress in your own body. There are even... Um, Alien dowsers, they can find alien life forms from other galaxies, all with, not. they don't all use two sticks, although a lot of them do. Some of them have a, a pendant of Buddha, and they'll use that to try to locate whatever it is they're looking for. Here's the thing. It's big business, especially now in a long-term drought, and there are a lot of particularly farmers and other agricultural concerns that are hiring these people. Uh, some of these water witches are all booked up for the foreseeable future. It's big business. It's generally less expensive than the alternative. Uh, if you've got massive acreage and you're trying to grow stuff and you're getting low on water, you can hire a water witch or you can hire a hydrogeologist. So when you hire a hydrogeologist, you're, you're paying for generally some kind of college degree. They use satellite images. They use data from uh, past drillings in the area. They use various geophysical instruments. And as you might imagine, there's a hefty price tag to have something like that going. Water witch, two rods, and uh, some kind of ancient magical abilities. Is it legitimate? Here's the interesting thing about water witching, water dowsing. If you have enough experience in the area where you do it, you can certainly become familiar enough with the general terrain and with the history of where underground water has been found previously to develop a pretty good sense of where you will find other water. But I, I, it doesn't have anything to do with the two sticks. The two, the two sticks are for show at that point. Could it be a magical thing? I'll let you decide. I thought, uh, I thought from watching The Wizard of Oz that witches and water did not mix. Maybe I misunderstood that movie. The recall campaign against Gavin Newsom is kind of set in the sense that uh, there's been an announcement of the list of 41 candidates that the state says filed the valid paperwork and met the other uh, prerequisites to appear on the ballot. The election itself on September 14th. It's not that far away. Where, where are all the lucrative recall-based ads? I'm not hearing enough of those. We should be raking in the dough over this. Let's go, people. John Cox, what are you doing? Get in a studio with that bear, record the bear growling, and pay this station a lot of money to run it. I'm barely kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. So 41 candidates are official. At least one is very upset that they are not currently official. And that's a conservative talk show host, Larry Elder, who is not on the state's approved list, but swears that he filed all the papers in time. And he expects that he will end up on the final certified list of candidates. Maybe it will require litigation. I don't know. So 41 or 42, if, if he is successful at getting on that ballot, that is compared to 135 candidates when we had the recall of then-Governor Gray Davis in 2003. And the L.A. Times is trying to say that when, when we had 135 candidates on the recall ballot in 2003, that it was a media spectacle and that what's happening now is a far cry from that. But I don't know. I don't know how you say 135 people trying to be the next governor is a spectacle and 41 people trying to be 
the next governor is what? Boring? Although it is a little boring. I guess, you know what? I think I just answered my own question. This time seems a little boring. If you were around in 2003, it was a circus. I mean, everybody was into it. You had such a cast of characters running, you know, I'm, you had, uh, well, of course you had Schwarzenegger who actually became the next governor and you had the, what's her face, the porn star, Mary, Mary Carey. Yeah. And didn't we have, um, wow. How can I be blanking on this guy's name? Gary Coleman. Yes. Wow. I'm so sorry that I blanked on his name, particularly since I saw him once at four in the morning inside the good guys. Remember the good guys? was a chain of audio video stores, kind of like Circuit City, but they they, they had a location uh, near the Beverly Center that was open 24-7. Oh, that's cool. And I was in there. It was 4 in the morning. And with me, Gary Coleman, looking at gear. So I'm sorry. Um, and, you ha- and you had a bunch of, I don't remember all of that, but I mean, there were a lot of like, whoa, really? This time around, first of all, there's 41 candidates on the official list, and how many of them can you name? Not that many. And of the ones that you can name, only one of them has that, like, zaza, really, reaction, which is Caitlyn Jenner. And Caitlyn Jenner appears to not really care anymore. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because she's off doing uh, Big Brother Australia. I think, Jen, you know how much money she's making. $372,000. Okay. And uh, hold on. Just curious. Let's compare that to yeah, the salary want... yes. of the governor. How did you know that that is exactly we share a brain? What I was gonna do? Uh two hundred and ten thousand dollars. Oh, big brother! So all the way. please, Caitlin, you're you don't want you really want the headache of being the new governor for less money? Come on. So I think she's seen the writing on the wall. And then the big the big names are like super snoozers. Former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer. Okay. I mean, I don't have a problem with him. That's It's just, but I'm not like, ho, 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 look at this situation. Kevin Falconer might be the governor. John Cox, Bear Man. Uh, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley. There's also, there's definitely um, a difference in the enthusiasm gap. And the enthusiasm gap could maybe cause new uh, co- cost Newsom. English is my first language, by the way. Cost Newsom the governorship. Here's why: currently, Republicans report much higher degrees of enthusiasm to get out there and vote him out than do Democrats report enthusiasm to get out there and keep him on board. Now. Numbers-wise, it's all Democrat. Democrats have a 22-point lead over Republicans in voter registration. The anti-recall campaign has raised way more money, has raised more money than all of the GOP candidates combined. Okay, The anti-recall campaign has raised over $28 million. But if Democrats don't consider it to be that important to go vote, and Republicans do... That's all you need to overcome the numbers gap. And I got to imagine um, Newsom, there's plenty of reasons to, to recall him. And then there also will be, I think, reasons that aren't necessarily fair, like the L.A. County mask mandate. He's That's going to slop over onto him, even though he didn't do it. But if you want to make the case against him, 
See, I know I know how to play bias. I can do it very easily. I can adopt any myopic, biased, ill-informed point of view. It's just a skill that I have. Hey, Newsom didn't put a mask mandate. That's L.A. County. Yeah, but he didn't do anything to prevent localities from implementing mask mandates, did he? So really, he's responsible for this happening because he could have stopped it and he didn't. See? I heard one more thing this I could be that guy. What? That got brought up was the water restrictions. And there is a new agency that's come out and said, hey, this is too little too late. Even if the governor were to, you know, he recommended a 15% water reduction for all Californians. Had he done that sooner, we might not be in the predicament that we're in. And in fact, he may have set us up for even a worse fail next year if we stay dry. Yeah, look, he's indirectly responsible for every single thing that's wrong in the state. In fact, see this? I'm almost out of water in this water bottle. That is partly his fault. So I I don't know if this is going to be a big deal, what voter turnout's going to be or how how it's going to turn out. I would say probably he's not going to be voted out. Because there are no, there are no establishment Democrats running against him. If, If you're a Democrat, but you're, you're sane... There's nobody else to vote for. You can't go in and say, yeah, let's get rid of him and we'll get somebody in there that's good, too. You don't for for kind of relatively middle of the road Democrat. There isn't anybody. Because the Democrats are all backing off, right? There were earlier there were some rumblings. Maybe he'd get a challenger or two. Yeah, but but remember Nancy Pelosi came out and was like, don't you dare run against him. Yeah, and the party is not supporting you know, the state party, all of that. They don't want they don't want him challenged by another D. So we'll see what happens. Um, but it's definitely it's not as exciting as 2003. Oh, no. The recall campaign against Gavin Newsom is kind of set in the sense that uh, there's been an announcement of the list of 41 candidates that the state says filed the valid paperwork and met the other Uh, prerequisites to appear on the ballot. The election itself on September 14th. It's not that far away. Where where are all the lucrative recall-based ads? I'm not hearing enough of those. We should be raking in the dough over this. Let's go, people. John Cox, what are you doing? Get in a studio with that bear, record the bear growling, and pay this station a lot of money to run it. I'm barely kidding. I'm I'm sorry. So 41 candidates are official. At least one is very upset that they are not currently official. And that's a conservative talk show host, Larry Elder, who is not on the state's approved list, but swears that he filed all the papers in time and he expects that he will end up on the final certified list of candidates. Maybe it will require litigation. I don't know. So 41 or 42, if if he is successful at getting on that ballot, that is compared to 135 candidates when we had the recall of then-Governor Gray Davis in 2003. And the L.A. Times is trying to say that when, when we had 135 candidates on the recall ballot in 2003, that it was a media spectacle and that what's happening now is a far cry from that. But I don't know. I don't know how you say 135 people trying to be the next governor is a spectacle and 41 people trying to be the next governor is what? Boring? Although it is a little boring. I guess, you know what? I think I just answered my own question. This time seems a little boring. If you were around in 2003, it was a circus. I mean, everybody was into it. You had such a cast of characters running, you know, I'm, you had, uh, well, of course you had Schwarzenegger who actually became the next governor and you had the, what's her face, the porn star, Mary Mary Carey. Yeah. And didn't we have, um, 
Wow. How can I be blanking on this guy's name? Gary Coleman. Yes. Wow. I'm so sorry that I blanked on his name, particularly since I saw him once at four in the morning inside the good guys. Remember the good guys was a chain of audio video stores, kind of like circuit city, but they, they, they had a location uh, near the Beverly center that was open 24 seven. Oh, that's cool. And I was in there. It was four in the morning and with me, Gary Coleman looking at gear. So I'm sorry. Um, and you had and you had a bunch of I don't remember all of that, but I mean there were a lot of like, whoa, really? This time around, first of all, there's 41 candidates on the official list, and how many of them can you name? Not that many. And of the ones that you can name, only one of them has that like zaza, really? Reaction, which is Caitlyn Jenner. And Caitlyn Jenner appears to not really care anymore because she's off doing uh, Big Brother Australia. I think, Jen, you know how much money she's making. $372,000. Okay. And uh, hold on. I'm just curious. Let's compare that to yeah, the salary want... yes. of the governor. How did you know that that is exactly we share a brain. what I was going to do? Uh, $210,000. Oh, big brother. So all the way. please, Caitlin, you're, you don't want, you really want the headache of being the new governor for less money. Come on. So I think she's seen the writing on the wall. And then the big, the big names are like super snoozers. Former San Diego mayor, Kevin Falconer. Okay. I mean, I don't have a problem with him. That's it's just, but I'm not like, oh, 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 oh. Look at this situation. Kevin Falconer might be the governor. John Cox, Bearman. Uh, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley. There's also, there's definitely um, a difference in the enthusiasm gap. And the enthusiasm gap could maybe cause new, uh, cost Newsom. English is my first language, by the way. Cost Newsom the governorship. Here's why. Currently, Republicans report much higher degrees of enthusiasm to get out there and vote him out than do Democrats report enthusiasm to get out there and keep him on board. Now, numbers-wise, it's all Democrat. Democrats have a 22-point lead over Republicans in voter registration. The anti-recall campaign has raised way more money, has raised more money than all of the GOP candidates combined. Okay, the anti-recall campaign's raised over $28 million. But if Democrats don't consider it to be that important to go vote, and Republicans do, that's all you need to overcome the numbers gap. And I got to imagine... Um, Newsom, there's plenty of reasons to, to recall him. And then there also will be, I think, reasons that aren't necessarily fair, like the L.A. County mask mandate. He's that's going to slop over onto him, even though he didn't do it. But if you want to make the case against him, see, I know I know how to play bias. I can do it very easily. I can adopt any myopic, biased, ill-informed point of view. It's just a skill that I have. Hey, Newsom didn't put a mask mandate. That's L.A. County. Yeah, but he didn't do anything to prevent localities from implementing mask mandates, did he? So really, he's responsible for this happening because he could have stopped it and he didn't. See? I heard one more thing this I can morning be that, guy. What? that got brought up was the water restrictions. And there is a new agency that's come out and said, hey, this is too little too late. Even if the governor were to, you know, he recommended a 15 percent water reduction for all Californians. Had he done that sooner, we might not be in the predicament that we're in. And in fact, he may have set us up for even a worse fail next year if we stay dry. Yeah, look, he's indirectly responsible for every single thing that's wrong in the state. In fact, see this? Yes. I'm almost out of water in this water bottle. That is partly his fault. 
So I, I don't know if this is going to be a big deal, what voter turnout's going to be or how it or how it's going to turn out. I would say probably he's not going to be voted out because there are no there are no establishment Democrats running against him. If if you're a Democrat, but you're you're sane, there's nobody else to vote for. You can't go in and say, yeah, let's get rid of him and we'll get somebody in there that's good, too. You don't for for kind of. relatively middle-of-the-road Democrat. There isn't anybody because the Democrats are all backing off, right? There were earlier, there were some rumblings. Maybe he'd get a challenger or two. Yeah, but remember, Nancy Pelosi came out and was like, don't you dare run against him. Yeah, and the party is not supporting, you know, the state party, all of that. They don't want want him challenged by another D. So we'll see what happens. Um, But it's definitely, it's not as exciting as 2003. Oh, no. Federal judges ruled DACA is unconstitutional. That's as a judge in Texas, part of a lawsuit brought by Texas and several other states who said, uh, you can't do this. You didn't do it the right way, number one. And number two, you can't really do it anyway, because when you do DACA, we, these states, have to pay for education, health care, and other benefits for immigrants who are still here, even though they are technically illegally here, but you're protecting them and that's no good. And the judge agreed that uh, the way DACA was implemented was wrong because it didn't follow the requirements for a uh, for the Administrative Procedure Act, and specifically, there was no public comment period, which you have to do, and therefore you can't have it. Now, the judge did not say the program can no longer exist. He did not say people in the program have to get kicked out. He didn't even say people cannot continue to apply. But what he said is department, uh, the DHS cannot approve any new applicants if you're already in you can stay in and you can be renewed if you're a new applicant you can submit it they can hold on to it but they cannot add you to the program obviously this is going on appeal Biden administration already said they're going to appeal it it is the kind of thing that needs to get to a supreme court i mean this is the kind of sweeping issue about a significant program that's got to go with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The fact of the matter is, as much as I support everything that's in the DACA program, I support it all. I support we're not going to try to kick you out. I support we're going to let you work here. I support all of it. I'd actually, I would like to see more. I would like to see a a path to citizenship for the people who qualify for this program. This is a relatively small group of people compared to the number of people who are here uh, unlawfully. And these are people who, in my opinion, deserve all of those things as a matter of good public policy, good immigration policy. 
and and honestly, just basic human decency. We're talking about people who were brought here when they were kids and had no say so in the decision to come here and become here illegally. And these are people who are basically behaving themselves by and large because of the requirements. Here's the problem, though. The judge is right. A president cannot do everything that DACA does. A president can absolutely say, we are not going to go after certain people. He can tell the immigration authorities, do not go after the people who qualify for this program. They will not be deported, we will not take action against them. That is 100% kosher. Just like uh, Sheriff Villanueva here in uh, L.A. County, who says he, he will not have his deputies enforce the mask mandate. He has absolutely every right and discretion to make a decision like that. And by the way, if you like the sheriff because he won't enforce the mask mandate, you should at least appreciate that President Obama had the authority to say he wasn't going to enforce the immigration laws against the DACA people. But DACA also gave work permits. That is Congress's deal. That's very clear. And a president cannot do something that 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 needs to be handled by Congress in the form of laws. See, you can have any law in the book that says if you do this, you're in trouble. And a president can say, well, we're not going to go after the people who are doing it because he's not changing the law. He's changing the enforcement of the law. and He has a right to do it. But he actually changed the law in that he gave work permits to people who under the law weren't entitled to get one. So I just it's about time Congress did something about it. DACA actually has quite a bit of bipartisan support. And I think because right now Democrats and Republicans are too they're too afraid and angry to want to do too much that is truly bipartisan for whatever reason because of all these purity tests that are being handed down by the people. You know, you worked with the Democrats on DACA, you're not a real Republican. But I'd like to see it. I think Congress should get this going, make it the law of the land. That makes it kosher. And I do think it's the right thing to do. But it doesn't mean, see, I'm I'm quite capable of saying somebody did something I agree with, but they shouldn't have done it. And that's what happened here with DACA. All right. Drug overdoses uh, are spiking big time. Fentanyl is a massive part of that problem. What can the feds do about it? They have some options. It's interesting, too, that they have options at both ends of the spectrum. And here's what I mean by that. Because I want to break this down into broad, sort of broad categories of policies that you could have. So one of them would be, I'm not saying they should, but one of them would be to look at the criminalization of so many of these drugs and do something about that. All the way to and including absolute, complete decriminalization of taking any drugs, which is something Portugal did uh, in 2000, 2001. Now, I don't think we're ever going to get there in this country. I mean, look at how long people have been trying to get marijuana off the federal schedules. But it's a it's an avenue that they could pursue is to decriminalize more and more. What's happening right now is the states are really the uh, incubators for a lot of this. You had medical marijuana, you had recreational marijuana, now you see states passing laws decriminalizing uh, possession of psychedelics. And the feds seem fairly content to let the states dabble. But but, But here's the thing. It's kind of an all or nothing. If you want to really address the problem of overdoses, you got to go in all the way. Because doing it half-assed, you won't really know if it's helping or not. And it's a it's a very uncomfortable thought to say, okay, we're not going to care if people are using heroin or methamphetamine or PCP. Are you going to have these like parks where people are shooting up like they have in some Scandinavian areas? But that's one avenue. And then the other avenue is making these um, overdose treatment drugs more available. And I read about, uh, and now I forgot which county it is. I'm sorry, but there's a county that just started putting 
suboxone treatments right outside all the jail cells where an inmate can literally reach out and grab it if somebody in the cell ODs. And that making that kind of stuff more available, you have you have let me see if I'm right that we have three levels here of of medications that can help. You have something like Suboxone that can be given to somebody who's OD'd already. Then you have, and Suboxone is also used for this, you have long-term medical treatments that basically substitute a longer-acting, lower-intensity opiate for heroin and all those things, like methadone. Years ago, it would have been methadone. Now you do have Suboxone is used uh, long-term with some people. And then you have the blockers. Uh, Now, Trexone, a drug, once you're clean, in order to prevent a relapse, people can take naltrexone, which sits on the same opiate receptors in the brain as opiates, but it doesn't get you high or anything, and it sits there, and even if you were to shoot up heroin, you wouldn't get high, and you probably would not go down a big, long relapse. All of those drugs are being underused at this point. So there's some things that the administration could do. Will they do them? Will they do them aggressively? I don't know. What do, this is not a joke, by the way, what do Episcopalians and Jews and Catholics have in common right now? They all have devised special, specific prayers for mass shootings. And how grim is that? There is a guy named Scott Hayashi. He is an Episcopal bishop in uh, Utah. But years ago, when he was a young lad, he was in a record store in Tacoma, Washington, and somebody tried to rob the record store and shot him. And he spent two months in the ICU, and he almost died. And now he is a prime advocate along with uh, a bunch of other United States Episcopal bishops on the issue of gun violence. He is very much, uh, you know, has a political agenda, and it is to reduce gun violence. And these bishops got together like three years ago now. And they said, listen, we're trying to raise awareness of gun violence and all of that, and uh, we're missing something. What are we missing? You know what we're missing? A specific prayer for mass shootings. And so they wrote one. And it's called A Litany in the Wake of a Mass Shooting. And every time that there's another one, it gets added to the list. So this is this is how it operates. And I'll just read it and do the very first one that was part of this, which was um, a mass shooting at a Sikh temple in, in Wisconsin, okay? So this is how the prayer starts. God of peace, we remember all those who have died in incidents of mass gun violence in this nation's public and private spaces. Six dead at the Wisconsin Sikh temple. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Now, as these incidents continued to happen, they add them. So they do the same thing for the shooting at the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and at Sandy Hook, and on and on and on. Currently, it takes about 12 minutes to do the prayer because of the number of incidents that each are given their own specific section of the prayer. The Union of Reform Judaism... Even before, not trying to like uh, brag or anything, but even before the Episcopalians had their prayer, a couple of years before that, the Union of Reform Judaism released a prayer called Against Gun Violence. This was after the shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And it is overtly political. It's a prayer But it's also a political statement, source of justice, rock of strength and truth. You call upon us to stand in the name of common sense and reason to remove military weapons from a civilian population, 
Wow. That is very, very, uh, that's like a very specific gun control goal that they put into a prayer. And uh, the Catholics also, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they came out with the prayer for peace in our communities, and it similarly addresses uh, this kind of gun violence. And that's where we are, that uh, the religions of this country feel like they've got to get very specific about this very specific problem. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for certain other um, denominations, like Southern Baptists, to come out with prayers that are pro-gun rights. Although I'm not aware of any of that happening yet. The Olympic Games. Do they matter? Should they go away? What is the point of them? Well, let's let's break this down. Let me tell you about something that happened. Um, Gosh, this is three years ago now. It's the summer of 2018. Heat wave in Japan. People are dying. More than 1,000 people died of heat-related causes in, in Japan. And there were some Olympic test events going on in Tokyo, and some of the athletes got sick. So they said, we have to do something. We're supposed to host these Olympics. It's hot as blazes here in the summer. People are getting sick. So, like, here's a thing they did. They sent crews out to go on the marathon course and to put a shiny reflective coating on it to bounce the heat away from the marathon course. And it was, uh, you know, it didn't cost a tremendous amount of money. This is going to cost billions of dollars, these Olympics. And they weren't even sure this would help. But they did it. And then they unveiled it. They said, look at this shiny marathon course. And then two months later, they moved the marathon up to uh, Sapporo. 500 miles away. It has cooler weather. And here's this strip, this shiny reflective strip running through Tokyo. And kind of like a symbol of bad ideas. Six months after that, the games were postponed because of the pandemic. And that is when a lot of people in Japan really started wondering, is this worth it anymore? We're spending billions of dollars on this stuff. And we're having to play to the whims of the International Olympic Committee. So here we are a year later, right? And the games are going to happen, but uh, there's going to be almost nobody in the audience uh, in person for this thing. Japan is in their third or fourth uh, public health emergency around the pandemic. And a lot of people are going, why are we bothering with this Olympic stuff? So here's the interesting thing about it. There are two ways to look at the Olympics. And one of them is to focus on the the drama, the suspense of the actual competitions, right? Oh, I want to see who runs the fastest. I want to see who lifts the most weight in the clean and jerk or the snatch. I want to see that. And, and people who are into the athletic drama of the thing generally are not concerned with all the behind-the-scenes stuff. They just want to see the events. Then you have other people who, they don't even care about the events anymore. They are focused on what they say is a completely corrupt organization, the IOC. The IOC are the lords of the Olympics. What they say goes, period, end of discussion. They can make any rules they want. They can break any rules that they want. And there's a fairly decent history of corruption in the IOC, including uh, repeated allegations of, you know, bribery in the voting to decide what cities get to host the Olympics. Now, it's getting harder for the IOC to find cities that want to host them anymore. Most cities take a look at the situation and and take a pass on even trying to get the games. They don't want them. You know, L.A., remember the big thing with L.A. getting the, what do we have, the 2024 Olympics, is uh, we don't have to spend billions of dollars because we already have all of the facilities that we will need 
to host the we don't have to build a massive infrastructure to host these games. But but do you remember when there was the competition for those games? There was not a big long list of cities all fighting each other. There were very few. The other thing is you have the IOC, which is pretty corrupt and has, in a way, too much power. It's almost like the Olympics are a completely private event, you know, run by a private organization and everybody feels like they've got to be a part of it. And therefore they have to put up with whatever nonsense the IOC comes up with. You also have the fact that the, the Olympics now are almost entirely television driven and have been for some time because a vast portion of the IOC's budget comes from television rights. And NBC's already sold well over a billion dollars in advertising for the things. It's gotten really far away from, of course, the original Olympics in ancient Greece and even from the modern day era when they when they had the first modern day Olympics back in the very late 1800s, what, 1896, I believe. You know, it was still obviously mostly about in-person attendance and you didn't have all of this corruption and you didn't have all these money concerns the way that you do today. So does it still matter? Uh, it really depends on whether you're interested in how these games are put together, what they cost and how they affect the cities that host them. Or you just, you know, you want to see the cool lady with the multicolored hair run really fast. Oh, we're going to ruin our leisure time. We are going to lose all of it now. We just had the big news about the study in uh, Iceland where they went to a shorter work week and they said people were happier and they were at least as productive as when they worked more hours per week. There's a study from Spain from some time ago that basically found the same thing. And so all of this seems like um, it's all blue skies for everybody in terms of having leisure time. And in fact, what you would expect is over time, the work week will get shorter and we'll have more leisure time. But that's not really what's happening. Because what is buried within these studies? In Iceland, they reduced the work week. Yes. And what was the main thing? Yes, people said they were happier. That's true. But what was the main thing that they wanted to test? What was the main thing they wanted to test in the study in Spain? What about when um, Microsoft Japan some time ago experimented with a shorter work week? The main thing that they want to measure is your productivity. If you work fewer hours a week... Are you as productive or could you even, oh my goodness, be more productive working 35 hours a week than if you were working 40 hours a week? And the answer seems to be yes. There, there are very few studies that experiment with shorter work weeks that conclude that people were less productive. So what's wrong with it? Here's what's wrong with it. What's the benefit of a shorter work week? More leisure time. What is leisure time? Leisure time is supposed to be about doing whatever you want for no particular reason. Just because that's what you feel like doing at that time. Leisure time is not supposed to have a goal. That's not the point of leisure time. Leisure time is by definition for you to not have an agenda. What's happening? Industry is starting to link leisure time with benefiting the workplace. Why are we considering shorter work weeks? To make you more productive for us. Now, leisure time has a goal. It's not leisure time anymore. And you can see this happening 
I mean, this has been going on for quite some time. You know, back in, let's say, go to the early 1900s, you you started to have shorter work weeks and more, quote, leisure time. And you even had, you know, that phrase, the leisure class. These would be uh, employees of some means. And the idea being that they have a lot of time to lay around and sniff the brandy and smoke a cigar, do whatever, maybe get out the the canvas, you do a little painting, you know, but you're not accomplishing anything in terms of business or industry. And then what started happening around 30, 30, 40 years ago? All of a sudden, with all the hard won concessions, like the 40 hour work week, paid vacation, et cetera, uh, at least in this country, we started to abdicate our leisure time. First, people fought to get any. Then we started ignoring it. And they keep track of this now every year. How much unused vacation time do American workers leave on the table? And the amount keeps going up year after year after year. We're talking over 750 million days of paid time off just sitting there. Because we don't even use that time. And some of that's because of technology. You know, one of the problems with the line between I'm working for the benefit of of my employer and industry and leisure time, I'm not helping anybody directly or indirectly. One of the problems is the rise of technology and the smartphones and the blurring of the line between when are you at work and when are you not at work? It's easy if you're talking about when am I physically at 3400 West Olive Avenue at KFI and when am I not? But if you think that when I'm not in the building, I'm not, quote, at work, then you haven't seen the emails and the looking for stories for the next day and all the other stuff that happens outside this building. So the bottom line is this. Leisure time is supposed to be unproductive from an economy standpoint. And that's not how it's being treated now. And if we keep allowing this to happen, you're going to find yourself with a shorter work week, but no actual leisure time. In fact, and this is the real scary part, the moment that studies and experiments show that more leisure time leads to less productivity, that stuff's gone. Kids on keto. Sounds like one of those... um, Those shock panic films from the 1950s. Kids on keto. They're running through the streets wild on keto. They're undercarbed and oversexed. It's kids on keto. So uh, there are kids on keto. And, um, you know, we've had people on social media for a long time sharing their lives and becoming influencers. And this is nothing new. But there does seem to be something about TikTok that really highlights, um, I don't know, how far people will go. Or the or the maybe there's a new arms race to have the most interesting or quirkiest angle on why you're an influencer on TikTok. But there are uh, some people on TikTok whose whole thing is, look at me, I make my kids eat keto. That's their whole offering to the world. And they have millions of followers. One of the most popular accounts is called House of Keto. And uh, the mom is Abby Durlwanger. And she put her kids on this keto diet. And it's getting people very upset at her. Now, the keto diet is basically it's very low carb, lean protein, but also... um, you kind of fill things out with high fat foods like nuts and dairy and it's not that you eat tremendous amounts of fat for example or even tremendous amounts of 
protein. It's just that you really try to keep the mix of things protein and fat oriented and try to keep those carbs down. And the under, my understanding of it is that there is a state of the human body called ketosis and uh, you can induce it in your body by eating extremely low carb and then what it will do is flip some kind of a switch, they say, and your body will just will burn fat as its first priority. And people do lose a lot of weight on this diet. Long term, I have no idea if it's safe, if it's smart, but it became a big trend. And of course, adults do whatever you want. People are upset that these uh, mothers on on TikTok are t- are every day they're posting like, Oh, here's the keto thing I made for my kids today. Look at them eating the lean turkey breast and the handful of nuts and the one little head of cauliflower. And in this case, also, uh, even the dog in this family has to eat keto, apparently. So here's the thing. It's eminently debatable. Um, Is this good? Is this bad? Should parents be putting their kids on any kind of diet at all? There's a big philosophy amongst mainstream nutritionists and doctors that you don't want to put your kids on any kind of diet because it will start to have mental effects on them. If you start saying these foods are good, but these foods are bad, that it can lead to eating disorders uh, and other like anxiety and stress about eating and so that you shouldn't really do anything now. I don't know if that means let them eat whatever they want and now it's nothing but donuts for dinner. But there is a thought against any kind of dietary restrictions. And I think we can all agree. I hope we can all agree that if you're eating a lot of sugar, especially added sugars, if you're eating a lot of sodas, and cookies and cupcakes and donuts and those sugary breakfast cereals, they're definitely health effects if you eat too much of it for too long. That seems to be well settled. Is it necessary to go that far in the other direction with a keto diet? I don't know. Some experts say that uh, there's a big risk if you put your kid on a keto diet that somehow you won't, they won't get enough fiber or iron or B vitamins. Now, what's interesting about that concern is this. And I think I'll use one, one particular dietitian. Uh, her name is Courtney Glick, and she's at uh, NYU. And she's, the one, she's one of the many who say, if you put kids on a keto diet, they won't get enough of the B vitamins and the iron. And then, and then she says, well, because a lot of the foods that kids eat, like breads and pasta and cereal, those foods are fortified with vitamins and iron to help support a kid's health. So when you take that out of the diet, you take away those vitamins and that iron. But I feel like those aren't in those foods naturally. They're being added to those foods. So why couldn't you? So you're definitely supplementing those things. Why not supplement them another way and don't eat so much bread or pasta or cereal? That seems like a weird way to criticize it. In any event, the bottom line is this. There's a backlash. There's a lot of health people who do not like kids on keto. And there's a lot of parents who do not like kids on keto. And it is to the point where Abby Durlwanger, House of Keto on TikTok, gets up to 100 death threats a day. Plus, people telling her they're going to call Child Protective Services. So... This isn't even really a segment about should kids eat a keto diet or not. This is really a segment about, my God, no matter what you think about it, death threats? If you are driven to send a death threat to somebody because you don't like the way they're feeding their kid, you have a much bigger problem than their kids have. Gary and Shannon are coming up next right here. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.